Hey, that's not rubbish. Hey guys, it's Lexi, and this is That's Not Rubbish, the one and only podcast on all things upcycled, circular, and zero waste. Um, Merry Christmas from me and today's guest all the way from Germany, Mr. Philip Martins, a.k.a. Tectonic. Merry Christmas for me too, guys. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool having you here today, Phil. I believe you're our second international guest and I love your name. When I first heard about it from James, shout out Victory Lap, you sound like a superhero, like you're giving like Transformer or something. <laughs> it's like it's a, bunch. a machine. <laughs> and I mean, you are a machine, a superhero in my book, being an upcycler and all, Stop you it. know. So yeah, you're <laughs> blushing already. <laughs> so why don't you tell the listeners what you do, like what you transform into what? It's quite unique. I'll let you say it. It's basically all in mean, the subtitle title of my company's name. It's repurposed material written with an E. So it's a military log logistical term, uh, meaning mostly old military items like the stuff behind me, flight suits, um, submersion suits, but also old uniforms, parachutes, everything military, not limited to it, but that became my specialty. And yeah, I turned these old things with the old, in the old motto and spirit of swords to plowshares into purely civilian things like bags, backpacks, mostly, all of other stuff, some clothes, some aprons, um yeah oh my god someone's got to do it <laughs> yeah, right? someone's got to do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone's got to do it so you take old military materials and use them to make like really nice high quality bags backpacks aprons and more. and more things that us civilians <laughs> use like you said yeah so i mean it's really amazing what you do and the waste that you're you're combating i never even thought about the waste that the military goes through right like it's not something you think about every day so so we definitely got to pick your brains, hear more about the sourcing process. I'm a little extra interested in because it's not your average sourcing process. I guess it? so, yeah. And then how all this started and then a little bit about Mr. Mr. Phil Tectonic himself, you know. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. So especially as it's Christmas, I thought it would be a perfect time for, for you to come on. It's a time that a lot of people get excited over presents and things, you know, like what you're going to get, what you're going to give. And that's just not all that important. I think we're seeing in the world, especially right now, uh, what we really look back on and get excited about are the people, the songs, the parties, the food. Am I right? Like the memories. So yeah, definitely tis the season to take a moment and be grateful for, for what we have, find a little sparkle in the little things, appreciate our everyday people and the unexpected. So it's a very magical time and giving things a second look is definitely magical. So. Before we pick your brains, let's get into some good news. You know the drill. Prepare for some magic, some more magic, Mr. Phil, because now there is a machine that turns old clothes into new clothes. No. It's called, yes, it's called the tectonic. Ah. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I was, thinking, I was <laughs> thinking, like, is she talking about me? That's not possible. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> But this is actually called the G2G machine, garment to garment, designed by the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparels. And it's crazy. So it's so literally a giant machine. 
And first, you quite literally insert a piece of clothing into it, into the machine, and it cleans it, right? So first it cleans it, and then it turns into like this fiber web that is eventually spun into a new thread, like a yarn, like a yarn almost. And then once this yarn is made, the machine can actually go right ahead and turn it into a new garment using a 3D body scanner. It's insane. It's really insane. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if like every fast fashion giant like had one of these in their factories and they used it to like, they put old access stock into it to make like their new season of clothes. Like that'd be the dream. Maybe I'm it would excited. be amazing. And it sounds amazing because like for now, almost all recycling of clothes was downcycling because you never got the same quality of fibers because you know the cotton has already been spun you can also only make shorter cotton or shorter fiber stuff so it's amazing to if they would really manage to to get a quality project uh, product from it it's not like a yeah yeah it's a christmas miracle <laughs> it's a christmas miracle <laughs> <laughs> It's completely the opposite. It's great, like tackling the problem from two ends, from the manufacturer and from the very, very other end of the food chain, so to speak, in fashion. Exactly. I mean, I think you're Amazing. the same. I think you're you're doing great. So enough <laughs> about Hong Kong, more about Tectonic. Whereabouts <laughs> in Germany are you talking to us from, Phil? I'm living in Magdeburg, which is a, a state capital in eastern Germany, about one and a half hours from Berlin. Oh, cool. Cool. I would, I want to live in Berlin one day. Everyone wants to live in Berlin, <laughs> of course, except of the Germans who are like, oh, but everyone secretly wants to live in Berlin. Of course, <laughs> everyone does. The only reason I haven't moved to Berlin yet is because I wear too much color, I think. <laughs> oh, well, no, in Berlin, in Berlin, that's all okay. That's the great thing in Berlin. I, I fell in love with Berlin when I was 16, 17, wearing my own clothes that were really, really 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 colorful so to speak in a good way when i was literally being frowned upon here in the railway station in my hometown and in berlin you're getting out of the train and some random guy comes like dude nice trousers and i was <laughs> wow blown away so berlin is like in my experience there's like there's a lot of bad people also of course but they know it's not their city Berlin is the yeah. city of the crazy people it always seemed to me like they were like okay there are a lot of crazy people we leave them be yeah I love it I love it they're free so like you can't be wrong you can't be wrong there it's uh yeah have you ever been to the clubs in Berlin I'm not much of a clubber guy I'm more of a flea market guy oh I like this I like yeah, I'm not I'm not much of a clubber but there's there's jazz clubs, there's blues clubs, there's all, all kinds of things. There's not only the techno thing. And uh, yeah, <laughs> the techno thing is something different. <laughs> Maybe it's something for you, but usually people who actually go there, they start at Sunday, 7 a.m. in the morning they go, and they leave on Monday night. That's Sunday to like, Monday? Yeah, that's like, you think like, how do you get in there? There's like lines in front of Berghain for hours. And like, yeah, you, you can't come in the evening. You go Sunday morning and you leave Monday evening. Oh my God. I heard it's so hard to get into the clubs there too. Yeah, that's that's, that's what we're talking about. They're like, like serious clubbing. Yeah, like they do like a vibe check and everything. Like if you're not cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah, it's like when you go there, you can't go on Saturday evening, of course, because then it's full. But uh, Sunday morning, other thing. Other, yeah. yeah, that's when you can actually get in. Yeah, <laughs> I'll go on a Wednesday, whatever. Yeah. You really need to want to party. 
Well, I want to hear a little bit more about Mr. Phil before we get into the creation process. Like, I want to know how did this start? How did you get into this? Like what interests or background has led you into transforming military materials into backpacks? You know, like how did we get here from little Phil to now? Yeah, I think like the very short answer would be like your last guest, like Alex. Um, she used to grow up on a farm and have the Western lifestyle and the cowboy lifestyle. And I was a, as a small boy, was a army nut. And then even though I grew very long hair, I still ended up in the army. And so that is my profession. That is like what I, what I know, what I've got a feel for. Um, and I think to tie it in with the upcycling thing, um, when I grew up, I first had a contact with it when I was 16 years old. I met a, a local artist and he had clothes made from airmail bags, silver right. plasticy bags. And I was like, dude, I need your, I need a pair of pants from you. I need. <laughs> and he was like, ah, your clothes are going to probably be being made from a four-year-old Pakistani girl in slave labor. So you can do your own. And he was serious. And I, I learned to be a bit of sewing because I didn't have money for special clothes or stuff like this. And I was sewing along mostly pants from old stuff. And what was the cheapest fabric back, back then available to me? A military shelter half, an East German army shelter half for 10 euros, like 10 bucks. And it was exactly enough, like two yards by two yards for one pair of pants with the pockets and everything. So I was, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> and then later later in the army, I was sewing my uniform and uniforms for other guys, like rigging, like we call it there, like the parachute, it comes from the parachute riggers um, that in, in history, like in the Second World War for the Americans, we're doing a lot of modifications on gear. Um, so I became like a rigger. Uh, I had a sewing machine in my barracks room and was sewing there at night and doing modifications and what? stuff. Um, while and you were in the military, you had a sewing I was machine. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my own oh my sewing God, machine. I, in my room. To do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't a like the most junior enlisted person, maybe, so that helped. <laughs> but yeah, I was. Uh, I can go into detail later. But then, when I left the military, basically, and I uh, came back to Magdeburg in late 2017, I began to separate. Um, I was approached by a local art gallery I used to be friends with, and they were like, hey, can you make us um, bags from old air mattresses? These rubberized canvas, colorful, um, here, that one even, air oh, mattresses. Yeah. Can you make us some, yeah. uh, some bags from them? I was like, absolutely I can. I have no idea how to sew a bag, but absolutely I can. <laughs> um, and that's how I got back into sewing. And to, to, to tie it a bit, into upcycling and that's what something i think is in like a like a helpful message even in the military you want to be a bit special so it's not the kind of shirt everyone has you need to have a very expensive one and then you've got the 400 buck backpack and everyone's like yeah nice but then someone else has it and you have to buy the 600 buck backpack from the america from the americans somewhere so again if you want to be unique you either have to spend a lot of money and still someone else can buy it or you do your own stuff and have the like the added thing of it being your own. If it's necessary to have your own, no, you don't need a bag from me. You, any bag will do for me, any messenger bag, and some more, some less. But it's a bit more, you can give it a bit of panache. And that's something, yeah, how I came to it in the army again. It was like I saw people were like, hey, dude, I want something of my own, but like, I don't want to spend an endless amount of money on someone something somebody else can buy so i need something handmade um 
yeah, that's like what that was my approach to to making stuff again from upcycling. Yeah, like if you're gonna spend money on something, may as well make it something no one else has, right? Add a little pizzazz, like you said. Exactly. I like that. Ex exactly, like exactly. Yeah. Pizzazz. So wait, I let me ask a question. So I'm not a big military girly, like so. Please, please forgive me yeah. if I mix up military but army, like all those. Words. I didn't even know. Is there a difference between military and army? I usually a military is like a term for the military is all the armed forces of a country and the army in the strict word is the land forces like army, air force, marines, navy. In the US, for example, Coast Guard, yeah. Space Force, um, the army is like it's an, a colloquial term for everything, um, especially in Germany, but uh, strictly speaking, it's the land forces. Okay. And <laughs> so I thought when... This is so silly now that I'm hearing you talk, but I thought like when you joined the military, like they gave you like a little outfit and like they give you a bag and they give you everything you need, but you actually have to buy all that yourself. No, you don't have to buy on this. It's quite the opposite. You're usually not allowed to buy it. And um, because of oh. course, uniform comes from the word uniformity. You need a, a uniformity like in, in your approach, how you're, you're being perceived in public down to being recognizable as a combatant by the law of land war. Uh, or like the hate conventions, how you call it, stuff like this. There's defined that you have to look like a combatant um, to reconsider a legitimate soldier. But um, it depends all on your unit, the army, like in the U.S. Army. Like if you're in a line unit in barracks duty, you have, your uniform has to be pressed and everything. Also where I was working. But when we were out in the field, people were like, yeah, you have to use your stuff every day. So if you're doing modifications and it's vaguely in the same shape, in the same form of your issued gear, if it's got the same flame-resistant properties, whatever. In our unit, it was okay. Next door, maybe it was something different. But we, in like in my parts of the German army, it was something like Power Trooper. Um, we were very lenient with, if you we were doing a good job, that was, was, was count, what counted. And uh, yeah. And the property, the, the, the other good thing by upcycling was, of course, the stuff I used to sue with were all uniforms. So they already checked inspection. So it was, by definition, had the same flame retardant properties and stuff like this. It was another argument, so to speak, to, to sell my stuff. <laughs> to oh, being like, it is the same shape. It is because it used to be an old field blouse or jacket. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, it's I am you can't see anything. Yeah, exactly. But, but to be to to be sure and to 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 end that thing, you can talk to the next German soldier and he will say absolutely he was never allowed to have his own gear. That's also possible. It is like a gray area. Even today it's a gray area when they try to form it into into mandatory things, it's a gray area. People usually buy their own boots because they like them more and stuff like that. And yeah. Of course. So. And like I know what you mean, like having a little bit of uniqueness, like I feel like you go crazy if you're seeing the same and you're being the same as everybody else all the time. Like, oh, it depends. <laughs> but you're not in the military anymore, but you still yeah. wear a lot of camo. I tend to. <laughs> I tend every to. Every day you're just like. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to. I mean, I, I put the shirt on specially. I, I had a, a, a seamstress made for me. Um, oh. like a like a cook it's like a cooking shirt or a cooking jacket a chef's jacket um i, like I made it in you know there's a tiger stripe pattern pattern um or a head mate i can't see that perfectly myself yeah i tend to do i mean i love it and it's kind of a corporate thing now for me so to speak <laughs> it's corporate identity like tom Sachs, the master of corporate identity it's like yeah a bit of camouflage every day i tend to do 
pants one color and uh, the top in camouflage or vice versa camouflage pants and i don't i don't wear a camouflage top so that's my rule never camel on camo <laughs> <laughs> about about one camouflage a day yeah <laughs> that's really some that's really well like, like like my wardrobe is sorted it's the camouflage <laughs> tops and the, the non-camouflage tops and the camouflage pants and the non-camouflage pants yeah i was gonna <laughs> say we should normalize camo on camo but i don't know that might be scary <laughs> I, I, yeah for myself i i you do look a bit like a toy like a tall uh, soldier boy or something yeah everyone would be like it, it would be scary i don't know but like, yeah. do you like like the non-military camo because there is a difference you know like the patterns and like the organic shapes you know how do you feel about the the modernized camo oh i love it i first thing okay. i have not a single qualm against commercial fashion companies using camouflage stuff like I do because it's nothing I know how soldiers treat their camouflage it's not like they are like this is my holy blouse and this is like treated with honor or some bullshit yeah yeah fuck off um it's <laughs> like a, an everyday item you know first thing if it's a hey, four o'clock we've got a uh you know <laughs> after parole they're like bam out of it and <laughs> <laughs> on the <laughs> autobahn <laughs> it's like nothing special so i don't have any qualms of civilians using any camouflage and civilian patterns i love them usually it's a, it's a great it's it's a, i mean there are some great inventions some great fashion things i think dior or one of the big fashion houses they did a colorful camouflage thing a year or two ago i don't remember um, it was dior one of the very ex very okay, very very high-end uh, fashion houses and they did some camouflage thing like a like a spiel on it um, and I like that very much. Why not? I don't have any problems with that now. You should have seen Louboutin's Pharrell William Louboutin fashion show this year. Yeah. They did like a lot of pixelated camo. Ah, or with, like, the digital. There's nice. also that. I so many camos. Nice one, yeah. <laughs> so many camo. camos. So many. You should see my collection. <laughs> so many <laughs> yeah, camos. That's what what everyone tells me. Phil, so many camos on you. Like, yeah. like I already know. I I am camo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am camo. Exactly. I'm not fashion. I'm camo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't imitate. I don't imitate. I am camo. <laughs> okay. So the reason why I need to hear about your sourcing process is because, you know, like more most upcyclers are essentially like thrift flippers. They'll go thrifting, pick up some materials, rip stained, no home, and turn them into something new. But you definitely don't have your average sourcing process, right? <laughs> like, how do maybe how do you even go about getting your hands on this old military gear? Um, the first thing is I don't know. I think that maybe is like a hen and egg question. What was first, the things I want to make, and that's why I source military stuff, or I came to military stuff, and that's I, why I'm having to make the things I'm making. Right. So I don't know exactly what I'm, the thing is, I usually can't go thrifting because especially in Eastern Germany, um, there's not much of a military as theme. Let's be honest, especially in, in Germany, military is a bit frowned upon because of the history associated with it. Um, it is what it is. I can like it. I cannot like it. I, it is what it is. So usually when there's a big flea market in town, like we're talking big one, like 200, 300 vendors, there's like one guy selling military and oh. it's a shady guy. So you're like, okay, guy. he's got like fake, yeah, he's got like fake uh, Wehrmacht bus and stuff like this, like bullshit. You're like, of course, people won't like your thing because it's backward thinking, whatever it is. Yeah. So I usually don't find stuff on flea markets. If I find it, it's usually cheap because people don't know what it is. Yeah. So what I'm doing usually, a lot of stuff basically is eBay. 
I scrunch eBay, not for particular things, because they usually, if someone knows what it is, it's expensive, it's for collectors, so it's not for me to cut up right. by definition. So I go to like the militaria uh, thing in, in eBay we have in Germany and type in pants and only auction. So it's like 450 entries and I go through. Maybe there is an interesting pair of pants. If someone found like general army pants I found, maybe it's something interesting and I get a cheap hit on that. Or I bid on lots like army stuff found on the attic. Uh -huh. And then I bid on it and there's a duffel bag, a shelter half, a this or that. Something not too peculiar, but like olive, olive drab uh, canvas I use for my everyday use, so to speak. Yeah. Also, I do have certain um, dealers. Um, <laughs> yeah, now I like to say um, that they deal in, in, in wholesale military stuff because in Germany, everything is similar in the army. I think in the US, all stuff sold by the army is sold through one company and you have to bid on lots and they're like 2000 pieces of uniforms, uh, rating 1.5 tons and you have to bid on that. And, uh, one of the guys, he's, he's sorting out oddballs for me and especially stuff not worthy for collectors. Like, like behind me, there's, um, that's a G suit, like a jet pilot suit he's wearing it it's compressing uh, complicated but they have lots of zippers as you already see lots of brass zippers yeah. and um, if there's like a major one broken he says it's not good for collectors because they want pretty pristine stuff most of them so i get them on the cheap and i can spend the night with an exacto knife and cutting out the opening the seams and getting the zippers from them that's another major source and of course people bring me stuff major of course usually non-military stuff like tents and stuff like that old air mattresses and like hey you can still eat this stuff and if i need it it's like, of course bring it onto the big pile of stuff to be salvaged and um yeah that's mainly how i get my stuff yeah wow. because it has to be affordable as well as being something cool of course. because otherwise it doesn't make sense cutting it up from a historical thing or a point of view and from a financial point of view as well yeah you're definitely dealing with a whole new set like a code of ethics out there with the military stuff because it sounds like you attract a really interesting niche of people like people that are like really into like the military obviously and then sometimes 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 it's it's yeah it's it's not that much to be honest it's usually when i when a local asks me like hey dude your stuff is bought by military nut shop i say not usually not usually it's like what they call garmsmen now you know people in this magazine heritage post here like like people wearing gentlemen wearing corduroy or expensive stuff and having one piece of vintage camouflage on their back that's basically uh, yeah that's a lot of my customers yeah people like that yeah. <laughs> Your statement piece. Yeah, well, as we've said, you know, the camo is modernizing, so it's like yeah. not even, doesn't really have military connotation to it anymore, except that you're reworking yeah. old military stuff. But that's also just cool. Like, yeah, it's amazing. And the more that I'm, I'm hearing about it, I'm definitely acknowledging that, you know, military stuff is built a certain way to like, with to withstand like certain conditions and combat. And so they're pretty how like sturdy materials. So it's great for, the products that you're making it's like a whole different set of quality like this is top-notch stuff and it's usually made made in country so like example uh, mm -hmm. most german uniforms are made in germany so how can you get a a fabric made in germany no. it's not a you you, you don't get no. german fabric uh, german clothes usually or in america a lot of this has to be very compliant so it's made in america or somewhere else so you're getting for very very low price 
prices are changing all the time, fluctuating, but you got like for a few bucks, you got a German field blouse or a shirt and it was made in Germany in a German small factory. Usually you, you don't even know them. You just see the name, the manufacturer and the label. And you're like, yeah, I'm getting a hopefully ethically sourced even in the production, even, even as I'm recycling, it's a like a bonus on top to it not having been made in a sweatshop. You're above all the other materials. We're, we want the best of the best or nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know, really, like, like, like I told you, I'm not having an agenda or something. I'm doing what I'm doing, what the other guys are, are doing. If they, I can't sue or I can't upcycle, yeah. I say, go ahead, buy your fabrics from the wall. It's not, yeah, do what you think. That's just what I do because yeah. I enjoy the process of salvaging also. It's like deeply... Like for me, deeply soothing, putting on a DVD or a good podcast or a YouTube documentary, getting out the X-Acto knife and cutting open the seam by seam by seam by seam of all fabric or uniforms. Very therapeutic, yeah. right? Yeah, very therapeutic, exactly. That's great. That's nice. Yeah. And I mean, why wouldn't you be doing what you do? It sounds like all, all stars align. But I do want to hear more about like, just like in general, like where does old military gear even go? Like once in Germany, I can speak for for like like the country I've got experience with, like like Germany. Right. A lot of countries have a different one. Um, everything the army and a lot of municipalities um, auction off is auctioned by a company in Germany. It's called the Febek, and they sell everything from an old warship. They sell for salvaging over cars, military cars, trucks, gear, stuff, whatever, uh, down to um, uniforms. Like I said, you're, 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 you're literally bidding on a metric ton or two metric tons of uh, um, male overgarments, various, about 200 jackets, 300, whatever. That's the prescription you get and you're bidding on it. Um, right. They are not selling camouflage, uh, um, fabric, uh, camouflage uniforms anymore because oh. uh, for two reasons, that was a big thing. And I think it's going to, you see it on the market now. It's a NATO thing. NATO like suggests that uh, armies don't sell their camouflage uniforms anymore in Europe because of they think maybe they get into wrong hands. Like especially in Ukraine right. in 2014, you saw whole units of of um, um, of rebels, so to speak, there um, wearing German uniforms, even with the flags and everything on it. So that's yeah. a political thing people are a bit afraid of it because German uniforms used to be the cheapest on the world market together with British and uh, some American uniforms were like the, the the cheapest you could get on the world market. Um, that's the reason. And also for Germany, they say it doesn't, it wasn't like uh, you had to sort it and everything. And I said, it's just not worth it anymore without conscription. Uh, we have so many less soldiers going through the army, cycling through the army and so much less waste we have it's not worth it we just shredded everything um yeah that's another thing you have to keep in mind a lot of countries even have laws against camouflage ownership oh. by civilians yeah there's videos online just type on legality of camouflage or whatever there's a youtube guy uniform history uh and they made a video particularly on which countries it's not allowed to wear or own camouflage yeah we'll link it in the description <laughs> perfect it sounds like there isn't too much waste um, amongst the military world, like if all of it's being sold and reused, like ah, uh, well, it it's it's it comes down to a thing of of economics again. You know, there was a time when everything was 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 uh, they had the tailor in every barrack or in every like major military installation, so to speak, or in every garrison. No, that's the right word. 
Um, and then in the 90s, early 2000s, they privatized it. So everything was sold out. You just came with the uniform. They weren't even looking at it. They were like, I have to change because, yeah, we don't care. What size do you need? There's the new one. The old one gets thrown away. Then again, they started repairing stuff again because they said it's too expensive. People are handing in too much stuff. We have to repair it again. So it's always a yin and yang with the economics, of course. What's more economic for the moment? Uh, you know, with lots of recruits going through, um, there's a lot of, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a lot of race now that they're shredding uniforms because I don't know how many they are really going through. Uh, I mean, they, they last for years um, unless they really, really rip up or lose their color or something like it. Well, I will say I do like hearing that they're not just like, oh, this is a sweaty uniform, let's throw it away. And that they have acknowledged like in the past that ancient perspective that the materials that we have are good, they're sturdy, we put a lot of work into them, let's just fix it instead of making a new one. So I think that's a good perspective to adapt. I like that. And, and like you said, it's more economic, it's more resourceful, like why not? Why wouldn't exactly, that be yeah, the way exactly, it's done? Yeah. Oh, I like this. I can get behind it. Yeah. Salute. Yeah. <laughs> and so you do you work with German military gear or have you come across like other countries? Everything, everything, everything. German is the is the oh. minority because uh, my my uh, customership is international. I think three quarters of my turnover I make internationally and most of that in the US. So uh, no, um, I don't exclusively work with German stuff. No, quite the contrary. It's the minority of stuff I work with because I see it every nice. day. <laughs> I saw it every day. Yeah, you're like, I'm over it. Let's get to the next. Yeah, no, so no. Like what, what country's military is like the most fashionable? Like what's your favorite? The most fashionable? Oh, now we're, now we're treading deep water here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things. What I like personally is when they're purposely hitting hiding figures in it or shapes, so to speak. There's always something like soldier lore when they're like, oh, this is like called whatever, you know, this shape. Ooh. There's also countries like Croatia, and they incorporated their country's shape on the map into the pattern. I love that. Like with the islands and everything. It's a digital pattern. And there's a, the country of Croatia in it repeatedly. Um, there's countries like uh, the United States Marine Corps incorporating their Eagle Globe and Anchor logo. Stuff like that. I like I like that a lot. The uh, when they're hiding some some shapes in it. That's a that's a cool thing, I think. I have a very, very uh, like like a the Croatian desert pattern has a very distinct Croatia every meter, every yard or something. It's well crown Croatia the women. I like that. Go Croatia. <laughs> and that's that's really cool. Do you know much about like the history of camo? Like Yeah, I do. I I think I do. <laughs> Basically blending and distortion. You want to blend into what's behind you and you want to distort your shape. And that's basically every camouflage there is, is a combination of blending and distortion. And yeah, if you keep that in mind, it's like, whoa. Of course, I see it. Yeah, now I see everything. This is like supposed to disrupt. It's not ending here. It's not a white line around me, but it's going over the edges. So it's kind of distorting um, the human shape. Yeah, stuff and like they're that. organic shapes, neutral colors. That makes sense. Yeah, stuff like that. And it's all. It's usually a combination because if you're in front of a white back, uh, background in snow, of course you can wear white, and then it's only blending. But you're moving, and as soon as you're moving, it's it becomes important to distort the shape, whatever, whatever you're hiding, a vehicle, a top, yourself, whatever. That makes sense. <laughs> and if you keep that in mind, you've got camouflage um... workout. Blending <laughs> and distortion. <laughs> you have to blend into the background and distort your, your shape. I can do that. 
I can do that. <laughs> so would you mind digging deeper on your inspiration? You know, like you have your materials. How did you land on like the signature bags and aprons that you are known for making? The shape is something defined by my technical abilities and what I needed. Like the, my, my signature messenger bag is a hundreds of years old cut. So nothing very particular or something special mm -hmm. but what i've got a kind of a hand for a kind of a taste for is combining patterns um set in a certain timeline so for example and that's an approach maybe for other upcyclers they can use for their topic um, my specialty is military but you can use it for a movie or something to get the taste of a scene like very famously Wes anderson movies they have the pastel colors and stuff there's accidentally Wes Anderson, the movie, uh, the books and everything. So there's, he found the palette, a color palette. And I try to, to do the same with bags, like an iconic photo, like a time of, like, like a time of conflict, like Vietnam War or something. Um, or like a movie where they used camouflage. And I try to form the influences, the colors I see there into a bag so that that bag could have been made in that time frame, by a rigger, by the guy himself, by a tailor he gave the fabrics to, to make a bag from. And that's wow. not like reenactment. It's more like a cosplay thing. It's like not the main character, but what would have the guy looked like next to the main character in Star Wars, for if example? If you movie yourself, what would you be wearing? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Stuff like that. That's so amazing. it's not it's not a hundred percent. You know, usually soldiers they don't give it. They don't give a damn because they're like i need a practical thing it has to work that's it right but every now and then there's some guy like me or a crazy guy and they're like i really need something special or i want something cool like one example are tour jackets they had the uh, like blankets in vietnam made into jackets with embroidery like i spent time in saigon from then to whatever and they were called tour jackets and like they were souvenirs um, in Afghanistan, they had war wax made with, with military symbols and stuff like that, or T-shirts printed, like Delta Company, whatever, yeah. in Afghanistan, and stuff like that. And that's my, my inspiration. And I, I try to make something that could have been made there, that could have been made in the movie. Um, it's the right pattern. It's the right proper material. Of course, it wasn't in the movie. Of course, it wasn't in real time. They didn't make messenger bags because a soldier doesn't need a messenger bag. It's slinging around all the time. But uh, that's my inspiration usually. Like an iconic, I try to catch it. Like the accidentally Wes Anderson guys try to catch scenery that could be from a Wes Anderson movie. I'm trying to make bags that could be in a certain setting. Like, yeah, they would have had that kind of material. That's really cool, amazing. Yeah. That's a really cool like, concept idea. or like approach to do this. Like you have so many like it factors. I feel like there are so many like interesting things about what you do, like from the materials to the sourcing to the actual bags itself. Like I can't believe that you make these themed bags. What, what are some of like the movies or I guess maybe battles or themes that you have created garments around? And for example, there's one like a very cheesy movie uh, with Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen. Uh, it was called The Red Dawn in 1984. They made a remake now I haven't seen. But it's a movie where Soviet paratroopers and Cuban soldiers invade the U.S. And mm -hmm. a, a small group of uh, young guys like led by Patrick Swayze and, and, and Charlie Sheen, they go into the mountains and become partisan guerrilla fighters. 
and it's a super cheesy movie. No point, no points about it. Uh, you can only watch it ironically. But um, they didn't have Soviet uniforms in 1984, so they made they made a proprietary pattern for the movie. Um, it could be like a Soviet pattern. It isn't, but they made it like it, and they made them suits like oversuits, like the Soviets actually had. They they used to have camouflage only as oversuits, very very thin uh, camouflage stuff. Right. And they wore it in the movie. They later wore the same suits in Rambo Three, I think it was, when he is in Afghanistan. They used the same kind of pattern, the same suits and everything. And I, um, yeah, I got a reprint. I found a reprint online of uh, on 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 uh, organic canvas. I found a reprint, and I was like, what what would have what kind of bags would they have made in the movie? Like the partisan guys from from stuff they 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 captured from the Soviets, right. or what would a Soviet soldier have had made at base, like with a Soviet shirt? I combined it with proper Soviet military gear with the fantasy, so to speak, pattern. And that's one example. I made a small series of bags, different kinds, different sizes. Um, yeah, that's that's one example. And then I paired it with movie posters, original movie posters from the 80s, German ones, because that's what I found. Like, I think they're called lobby cards, like they had in the cinema, like smaller ones, with color photos from the movie and scenes. And I sold them like a, like a package, you know, you, you get a fact sheet, what fabrics were used, you get the original movie poster with the bag, and that's, yeah. That's like 110% of what I'm doing. <laughs> this is so cool, Phil. Like you're blowing my mind. You're creating a whole experience. Like I I said, I'm not a military girly, but I might bite. Like this is very cool. <laughs> That's what I'm. That's that, that's what I'm saying. Because you need you need some kind of not a unique selling point, maybe, but you need to have something to sell. And for me, it's not. I'm not the cheapest because I'm producing by hand in Germany. I'm not the best because I'm not a trained tailor. I all learned myself um, or from that guy when I was 16, maybe. Um, so for me, it's the story. I don't have the most innovative idea, like a backpack folding like this or whatever. No, it's a simple messenger bag. It's a Veshmashok, a hundred year old cut. It's whatever it is. Um, but it's the material for me and having a story, having a fact sheet with every bag, with the fabrics oh, totally. used, like a small sample on it. Um, that's, that's like, yeah, what I have to do because, because there is a certain price point and I want to, to justify it. And that's what I sell it. it it's, it's kind it's, it's the story. It's not the most effective bag, not the most waterproof bag. There's guy making that better and cheaper. That is my specialty is, is telling you a story. Basically, that's what I try to do. 100% put the storytelling in upcycling. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about upcycling is just like, you can't even imagine like the lives it's lived, what it's been through, where it's been that's exactly, yeah. to before. And this is just like a sweater at the thrift store. But like what you're dealing with is a whole different world. And it's really amazing. It's I think this is very magical. You're like Santa. You're Santa. <laughs> You, you know what the real magic is? Then comes internet because all that only works with internet. I love Instagram and everything. I, I don't see why people hating on social media. I mean, I see it, but I love it on Instagram. I met so many amazing people. I mean, we met and I met Owen Thornton, who's an associate producer and custom guy in Hollywood. And he brought me in contact because he wanted something for me uh, with the guy who made the movie in 1984. 
And he gave me leftover fabric, like two yards or something. I was like, dude, I was at that guy last Wednesday. Shall I go there and pick up stuff for you? Like, he's got some fabric left. Yes, like, of course. Please. And so now everyone got like a certificate with the, with the real piece of swatch of fabric from the movie with their bags when I make the another, when I'm going to make another series about it. Uh, that's maybe amazing. I, do. I mean, there's, there's nobody else doing what you're doing. And you, <laughs> I hope so. You are one of a kind. That's only, that's only possible with social media, of course, because of course, there's a lot of hate and stuff like this, but uh, I've experienced this, experienced these wonderful things, like on reaching out to me, being like, "Dude, uh, that's amazing what you're doing. I like it. Can I get whatever from you?" Um, and I bring you this. I, I sent you this fabric. I said, "Absolutely." <laughs> I mean, it was so amazing finally hearing from you today. So thanks for coming on the show. I mean, it's amazing that you're cleaning up the army world's waste, but also creating these experiences, creating durable bags because who doesn't love a durable bag but also just like letting people step into the world of whichever movie or military experience they they want to be a part of so thanks for doing something that no one else is doing that's incredible thank you thank it's you it's hard to do it's that just what movie, like you know? it came to me by accident so <laughs> i can't take too much credit. just like yeah In I, I had to find something i can I can sell a story. I can just, you know, I can completely, you see how enthusiastically I get uh, just talking about it. And also we haven't spoken about how I do the things and that's not a bad thing because you see, it doesn't matter that much. I am trying to make a living from it. I'm trying. So of course it's important, but when you're doing your own stuff at home and when you're doing upcycling and you're like, I can't afford the unique thing to buy it. So I have to make it. The making itself it's coming to you it's not even nobody will, will check your seams or what you're doing yeah. um it's the idea at least for me that's selling and the making is yeah dude it's it's boring it's tedious <laughs> let's be honest suing is not always fun thinking yeah, <laughs> no, of bags is fun um i would love to have someone suing for me but uh, nobody can or nobody wants or whatever so i'm doing it myself but that's not the most important part i think of the whole upcycling thing it's it's the doing the upcycling i think it's always a mindset of 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 being ready to to yeah it's not fresh it's not bored it's not unused it's something you have to take an exacto knife and open up and iron it and stuff like that that's the most important part i think oh my god you are a legend you are a soldier, <laughs> you're a it. machine, you're a storyteller, you're an upcycler. You are Santa Claus. And I think Santa Claus is German, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's thank you so much for coming on the show today, um, Tectonic. I'm just going to call you Tectonic now. You're like a transformer. Do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> Tectonic Claus. <laughs> you can call me any name. I don't care. I live for the upcycling. Yeah. We're just for the story. We're making movies, baby. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I know I'm a bit of a talkative guy. Perfect for a podcast, really. <laughs> the spirit of upcycling, you said it, you said it best. Yeah, it's less about the process and more about like the story behind it. Or I mean, everyone's yeah. philosophy is different, but I like yours. I like yours and I will be moving to Berlin just so I can take a rework class by the one and only Tectonic. <laughs> it's a you're welcome. You're welcome. I'll see you there. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this is actually a wrap for season one of TNR. Nice. We'll be back in February with a whole new roster of zero waste designers to meet and drill over, including Mr. Mr. James from victory lab. Who? Shout out. Yeah. Shout out James. Um, <laughs> 
And then also I do want to take a moment and send a nod, a hug, a kiss to all those unable to spend the holidays with their their loved ones due to them being overseas. Um, and those unable to enjoy the holidays due to the what's going on in Gaza, the absolute tragedy. I know, I feel the same, and I will link a relief donation into the description. But Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Tectonic and I from US to the Germany and back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>